Welcome to the Wraparound Love Podcast, where you will hear the very difficult stories behind why people make the choices that they do. As we share these stories, you will be inspired by how the love of God transformed each person's life when individual Christians chose to consistently engage by simply being someone who gave what we call wraparound love. Welcome to episode two of the Wraparound Love podcast. My name is Janine Wagner, and I am here with my good friend, Barbara Robinson. And we hope that you were able to listen to episode one. And if not, um, we encourage you to, to go back and listen to that. Today, we're going to begin by um, focusing on um, Barbara's life story is what many of these are going to be about. And, and this one is really about her younger years. Barbara, would you say it's fair to say that your life was shaped by your relationship with your mom? What I can say is today, today I love my mom. Um, but as a young teenager, young adult, not knowing too much of anything, the negativeness of my life was shaped because of my mom. But I believe how I was able to hear God and allow God not reject those who God has put in my path. It is because of a seed that my grandmother planted. And so what was that seed? What was that experience with your grandma? She brought you to church. Yeah, my grandmother's my grandmother was born of 11 kids out of Hope, Arkansas, and she was raised by her uncle. Her younger brother was messing with a shotgun and killed her mom. Mm. And so she had to go, they had to get split up. And so she went to live with her uncle who moved here to Omaha and he founded a church on 26th and Decatur called Cleves Temple CME, Christian Methodist Episcopal. And my grandmother used to take me Every Sunday, we went to church, we went to Bible study, we went to conferences. I was in the youth choir, I was a youth usher. I did everything religiously, uh, what religion tradition um, was to do. Um, she introduced me to God as um, if you be bad, God's gonna get you. But she also nurtured me and loved me which I didn't get from my mom at that time because my mom didn't know how. And as I was young, I thought, you're supposed to know how, but you don't know how. You have to learn. You have to allow God to teach you. And you have to ask questions of other people. Otherwise, you won't know. And that's because I didn't. So you kind of lived as a child in almost two different worlds. Yeah. You had your grandmother's house that you lived in quite frequently. Mm -hmm. And then you had your mom's house that you lived in every now and again, every now and again. And at times your mom used taking you away from your grandma as a way to punish her mother, your oh, grandma yeah. for not either giving her money or paying her bills. Yeah. She would take me from my grandmother. Did you recognize that as a child or is that something you figured out as an adult? I don't know when I recognized that. 
I don't think as a little girl, I didn't understand the concept. All I just knew that, Grandma, just please give her what she wants so she won't make me go. And I always, my grandmother had this dresser and on the dresser she had a mirror and the mirror was turned upside down and she had all this perfume in it all the time. And I would always go in my grandmother's room and I would look in the mirror and I would just be asking uh, God, Lord, just please let her be my sister. How can you, about your mom? Yes. How can you change it to be your sister? And I can remember thinking that I was on stage because I would watch TV and everybody was on stage. So I used to say, I, I can't wait until they change the show and she could be my sister. And I, I think one day I was walking to school and I realized that it's not a stage. This is real life. You, there's no one's going to change this. And I was young when I came to that uh, conclusion. How did you respond in your heart once you realized that reality? What did that do to you? I kind of became vulnerable because not only at that time, at my grandmother's house, I was safe there. But I also had an older cousin who lived there who was basically, from the time I can remember, always wanting to try to have sex with me. Somewhere in my mind, I thought that eventually I would have to have sex with him so that I would be able to stay at my grandmother's house. So in your mind, that was something you just would have to do. Yeah. And I don't even know how I came to that conclusion, but I just wanted to make everything be okay. Because at my mother's house, my mother was very uh, physically, uh, mentally abusive. And I didn't want to go and be with her. I did not want to go and be with her. And at that point, uh, I would have to protect my brothers. And so I had a brother that was under me that would listen to me and stay protected. But then I had a baby brother who always wanted to argue back with my mom and not be protected. It was, it was just a nervous, it was just a nervous wreck. And I also noticed that my grandmother only kept me and my older cousin. I don't even know why I didn't ask her to get my brothers, but some kind of way they ended up with us eventually. So about how old were you, do you think, when all of these things, kind of these realizations came together for you? Somebody has a picture of me and my cousin. We were standing at a TV, and back then, TVs would be stacked on top of one another. It'd be it the floor model TV, then it'd be I think it was the black and white TV that sat at the bottom and then the color TV on top. And I was, I had to be five or six. And I was standing at that TV and I could remember him. In the picture, nobody knew. But he was literally trying to ask me to let him touch me. He's not that older than me. So I don't know where he got that from. So you're five or six years old. Your mom is a drug addict. Your safe place is your grandma's, which you 
can be taken away from any time by your mom, you're conscious as a five or six year old of sexual activity. Yes, I was, I, I could stay away from him. You know, when I was young like that, I was able to stay away from him. In my mind, I think when I got 11 and 12, I started thinking, this is getting heavy. If we're not getting along, and my grandmother's gonna send me home. So we used to get into arguments and stuff. So you felt like you had to do what he wanted you to do so your grandma wasn't upset because you were so afraid of going back home. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot for an 11 year old. Yeah. I think then my um, heart started changing. Things just started changing. So Barbara, when when you were young, still like that five or six year old, let's talk a little bit about your dad. What did you know about who your father was? Did you have a male that you were living with? I knew that my mother's husband, I thought he was my dad. And my mom and him got into a real big argument and I was crying that he was leaving. One thing when he was there, you know, they partied, but it didn't affect us. He he didn't let it affect us. You and your brothers. Yeah, we, we you know, she wasn't abusive to us. And maybe it's because they were abusing each other. You know, I don't know what. She um she got mad and she told me he's not your dad anyway. He's just Jamie and Mikey's dad. Your dad's name is Bernard. And I'm like, oh my God. And you're five or six? Yeah. Wow. What did that do to your heart? I don't know. I mean, I was confused. But then a few days later, she was back with my stepdad. So everything was okay. Because I never saw Bernard then. So I thought everything was okay. Then a year later, I'm seven. I remember I was in the second grade at Wakanda Elementary. And this man knocks on the door. Her, her and my dad, James, my stepfather, had got into it. He moved out. And this man knocks on the door. He asks for my mom. They go in her room. They stay in there for a long time. She comes back out. She sits me down. And she tells me, this is your father. His name is Russell. Now, the funny thing about that is I had just came to that school and I was, I called myself having a boyfriend. His name was Michael. So Russell, I'm like, Russell's my dad? Well, what happened to Bernard? And she told me she lied. She was mad because Russell had two people pregnant at the same time. And she said that Russell's my biological father. Okay. So he takes me to his mom's house. When I get to his mom's house, out runs Michael, the little boy that is in my classroom, and I'm calling him my boyfriend. And he says, Dad, what are you doing with my uh, girlfriend? We had to sit down and talk. Russell told us we were brothers and sisters. Wow. And Russell stuck around for a couple weeks. And uh, Michael still wanted to be my boyfriend. <laughs> He said, we don't have the same mom, but I'm seven. I'm seven. And then Russell went away and I didn't see him again until I was 19. Then I decided that James was my father. 
It didn't make a difference what my mom said. All I know is that I am not biologically a Moss, James Moss's daughter, but he is the only man who I can pick up the phone and call. And if he doesn't answer, I'll say, Dad, leave me a message and he'll call me back. Was he a provider? No. Was him and my mom's marriage good? No. But this was the normal dysfunction that I knew. This one was comfortable to me. During the week he worked, on the weekend they fight and get drunk and lock themselves in her room with a whole bunch of other people. Later on for me to find out that they were all in there using IV drugs. And we'd go without. But in my grandmother's house, I didn't. I didn't go without food. I didn't go without toilet paper. I didn't go without love. I didn't go without somebody getting up in the morning, going to school with me, somebody coming to parent-teacher conference. I didn't go without sitting on the couch next to somebody, talking to them, laying my head on them. I didn't go without that at my grandma's house. So you were willing to make a lot of sacrifices, it sounds like, to have stability. Yeah. You were willing to possibly is it fair to say be raped by your cousin yeah. to be able to be at your grandma's house? Mm-hmm. And with the changing of your fathers, you were willing to go along with whatever was thrown at you with the hope that there was going to be some type of normalcy stability. Somewhere. Somewhere. So what do you think that Lack of stability, I mean, let's just kind of run through what you've just said. I mean, let's just imagine, maybe for those of you listening that are like me, that cannot relate at all to this experience, imagine being five years old and told that your dad is not your dad. And it wasn't told in a way like, let me sit down, let me talk to you, let me tell you. She was angry when she said it. She was angry that I was crying for him. So she wanted to hurt me when she said it. So she was angry at you. Yeah. So it wasn't about hurting him. It was to hurt you, a five-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. That was your mom. Yeah. She got upset with me a lot because I wanted to be somewhere else instead of with her. Or I always wanted maybe a mediator. Right. You know, now that I'm older, I could say that, a mediator. So your mom, as as the adult, as the parent, felt rejected by you, a five-year-old, because you wanted love, food, toilet paper, and your mom was unwilling to make changes in her life to make that happen. So she made you feel bad that you didn't want to be around that. Right. Would you feel guilty sometimes about not wanting to be around your mom? Um, no, I was always, I was scared until I was older and it became a rage. The fear turned into a rage, but I was scared. I, I, I never felt guilty. What I were always you scared was of? Her. I was scared of her. So what types of things besides kind of emotional blackmail would your mom do when you were a kid? We'd be asleep. Uh, you could hear somebody beating and pounding on the door, cursing us out. We'd get to the door to let her in. She says we 
you you y'all locking me out. She cussing us out, calling her out her name, and we stole her keys. But her keys, you can clearly see her keys hanging out of her pocket. One time she she want to kiss. She never wanted to talk to us or anything until she was drinking and high. Then she want to kiss a hug. If we didn't want to do that, she'd lick our face. She just was a she was a storm. She was a ranting storm. She was a storm. So you just never knew what was next with her. What do you think? And I know you really never got to know your mom's story. She never really let herself be real with you or probably anyone, but certainly her addiction, her behavior, her utter fear of rejection is coming from a place of hurt and not to minimize what she did to you and your brothers but as an adult as you reflect and as as we'll be hearing as we go you ended up doing some of the same behaviors with drugs and things like that what do you think was the root or maybe a couple causes of just her deep pain i i do not know what i know is that she was raised by my grandmother and my grandfather my grandmother did drink when she was younger I guess it wasn't a problem for her. My grandfather was an alcoholic. And my grandfather worked Monday through Friday and on the weekend there would be neighborhood bars and they would call my grandma and say he's here drunk. And I don't know how she had that set up that they would call her and tell her. And me and her would walk up the street and she'd go take his money and leave enough money for him to drink. And then we'd walk back home and he'd come home about 10, 11 o'clock, drunk, 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 and want to play his music. I didn't see any point of him hurting anyone. I don't know what transpired as my mother grew up, what that was like for her, I don't know. Because then we started getting calls that him and my mother was in a bar. My mother was trying to fight everybody. So we'd have to go there and get them out. Like I used to have to go in the bars with my grandmother. Is it hard for you to not understand why she was that way? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know generational, I know generational curses. I know addiction runs through your family unless you surrender to God. And I don't think my mother surrendered. I don't know if something happened to her. And if it did, I don't know why she didn't. Surrender. My mother OD'd at the age of 36. Share that story of your last conversation with your mom. We were in an alley and I told her that I hated her. And how old were you? I'd be 19, 20. I said I didn't want to see her no more. She looked at me and she put her hand out and she said, I'm gonna shake your hand. She said, because the drugs that you selling and dealing now, you addicted to them now. She said, but you gonna change and I'm not gonna be here to see it. So I'm gonna shake your hand and congratulate you. And in all the anger and I'm grown and I'm finally set free from her, I felt like I had to shake her hand. I felt like I had to shake her hand and I didn't know what in the heck she was talking about, and I didn't think she did either. Like, what? 
And I'm saying to myself, I'm not addicted, but couldn't wait to get home so I could get high too. But she was right. And though she, there were some times that she would get drunk, that she would talk to me, that she would tell me things about people around me or friends that I have. Later on, I found out that she was right. I just didn't listen because of the way she treated me as a child. So what good does she have? How could she know anything? But she knew the life that I was, she knew the direction I was going in. Yeah. Do you think, did you ever see anything that would tell you that that bothered her? So you talked about that she would go out drinking with her dad. Did, did she ever do drugs with you or? I think, um, I think one time I sat and smoked a joint with her and her boyfriend marijuana mixed with crack. It's called Primo's. Uh, but that wasn't her thing. And that was my thing. And I just did it just because I wanted to do it in the house. When I did it, she allowed me to, but it, for some reason, it was just uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. And that's probably because uh, God had a different route. You know, it was just uncomfortable that way. He wasn't going to allow that. So we never did. I just wonder if there was um, something in your mom that, even though she never indicated to you that she cared one way or another what kind of life you were going to have, that inside of her she did want good things for you. And maybe, maybe you can think now of yourself when you were using and had kids. Were there times when you had clarity on what your true desires were as a mom for your kids? Once I went through my 12 steps and I went through my fifth step and I kind of regurgitated everything and I was asked, why didn't you think your mother liked you? That just broke me. And it, it broke something off of me but it also gave me um, some accountability and it turned me to see things in her eyes. All my life I grew up hating her, didn't want to have anything to do with her. And I remember a conversation we had, she, one day she was sober, she told me that she thought I was going to be this uptight, um, high sedity, classy girl. And she didn't like that. Um, but she see that I'm not. And I didn't understand her for that. I, I didn't know what she meant by that. And then when she would get drunk, as I said, she would tell me things that was right. But at that time in my life, I couldn't hear from her. I couldn't hear from her. I couldn't hear from somebody who already was on the path that I was heading down. I couldn't hear from her. I went down the path and it wasn't until I was ready to come away from that and surrender that I started looking back on my life and I started realizing that my mother was trying to prevent me all along. Yes, she used me as a child because that's all she knew she had. So she knew what she could do to get my grandmother to do what she wanted. But when she seen me as a teenager becoming addicted to the drugs that I was on or that I was selling, she saw herself and she didn't want it to be that way.
I have eight children. I have four daughters. Two of my daughters are after my marriage and two are before. And when I tell you that's just how they are, the two that's after Christ and before Christ. And I see myself in them. I see the low self-esteem in one. I see the girl that was molested in another one. And with each generation, things get worse. And then I have two that knows about God and had a rare glimpse of relapse from their mother, but they've always had their mom. And they always had love for me. They always knew that they could come get in my bed and talk to me and all of that. They're totally different in their personality and their esteem than the other two who, when they were growing up, my room was off limits because I was always in there getting high. Yeah, I really am looking forward to when we talk more about your girls, all four of them I know, and the two that were before you found Christ have the most beautiful hearts, Mm -hmm. the most beautiful hearts. And we wonder what their lives could have been like if there would have been some intervention for them, some type of stability in their life when you weren't able to, and we're going to get to that. But that's what we want to try to inspire here is we want people to listen to this and have compassion for the story that's going to unfold of how Barbara made the choices, came to the place that she did, and hopefully what you're hearing today can see where someone is completely set up to walk down a path that they never wanted. Mm. And then to see the next generation do the same. We believe in redemption, and and that is one reason that we're sharing these stories and we're going to share them throughout the coming episodes because we know that God is a God of restoration. And so we look forward to that day with two of your girls. But I'm excited when we get to talk about them because I love those girls. And... uh, I'm going to tell everyone how awesome they are. So as we wrap up this episode, Barbara, kind of reflecting on everything we've talked about, what would you like people to hear? What I want people to know is that God restored me. He redeemed me and he's rebuilding me. And he uses people and he prompts people to do things. And a lot of times people do it. And a lot of times people start, then they get too busy. And that's been me. If God is pulling on your heart to help someone, if you know somebody who is going through things in their life that you just don't understand, ask God for guidance and believe in what he says and not the enemy tells you to do. Because I'm telling you, if I did not have a circle of friends that loved God, there's no way possible that they could love me. And if they didn't love me, I couldn't in turn learn how to love God. So for those who are listening, who loves the Lord, help someone else. That's what we need in this world. That's what we need. Work outside of the walls of the church. 